It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Chris Foster. Jimmy Fallon's got another gig. There's stand-up comedy, his weekday radio show, Fox Across America, a new book coming out, now his own TV show. Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon. Came on our show to talk about all those jobs and answer my some more serious than others questions. Jimmy talks for a living and it's a good time, so you may not be surprised to hear our conversation went on too long to fit into the regular weekday podcast and radio show. So today we play the whole thing. Thanks for listening. Please check us out whenever you can. Now Jimmy Fallon on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Let's start with the Saturday show. Mm-hmm. What's it about? Why do people watch? Why is it any good? Wow. Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon is a cable news keg party. That's the hook. That's, <laughs> okay. what, we're, that's what we're calling it. Uh, reason being, okay, as a comic, for real, this is like the one serious point I'm going to make while we're here, okay. um, is I feel like comedy, specifically late night comedy, is actually hurting the country in a weird way right now because it's become very partisan. And I considered late night comedy growing up to be like the number one source of common culture, meaning you could turn it on at the end of the day to kind of escape the news. You might everybody, hear, everybody watched Carson. He would make yeah. jokes about the news. Thank but, you. But he kind of took yeah, both did. sides. It wasn't so much that you didn't know where he stood. It's that you didn't care. Okay. It was like a permission slip to go wherever you wanted to for an hour. And everyone went there. Like at the peak, they had 48 million viewers, which is a testament to people who disagreed politically tuning in. You couldn't do that with yeah. one party. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to to give back to the culture an autonomous zone. Does that make sense? Sure. So just, just for an hour. Like, the show will end, and the Sunday shows will start a few hours later, and everybody can hate each other again. But I just want to be the timeout step. That's it. Uh, let's go back 47 years. Yeah. Um, childhood, how'd you get into stand-up, how'd you start driving a cab? It's so perfectly that you know to go childhood stand-up because you realize you don't <laughs> wind up performing if something traumatic didn't happen. No, I'm kidding. Right. I, I actually, to be honest with you, it's a sad story because whatever conversational and comedic acumen I possess, mm-hmm. I've had since I was five. So this isn't actually like the ascendant rise. This is the downhill spiral of a child prodigy. Got it. And I've just happened to latch onto <laughs> a branch on the side of the cliff. But I always wanted to perform and do stand-up. My fifth grade teacher we're going to talk about this on the show Saturday night. Uh, I had a fifth grade teacher who told me to watch Carson, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Pascana. Mm-hmm. And uh, listen, it's Levittown. She might have been day drunk. <laughs> but right. she was like, no, you should watch it. You should do it. She knew I was going to do my homework. She was like, you might as well give him something to do. And she had told me to watch it. And from that day forward, I just always wanted to do it. And the way I actually got into comedy from my childhood, I guess, ambition to actually doing it, this mm-hmm. is interesting. How, is, how old when you first got on stage? Uh, 27. Okay, oh, so 20 late. years ago. Yeah, yeah, really late. Um, and I wouldn't have did it. So my parents married 30 years before they got divorced, which is hilarious because it's like saying to someone, I'd rather die alone <laughs> than to any more of this. But anyway, they got divorced, and uh, I was at a play. My buddy Steve Robbins was in a play at New York Tech University, and uh, I noticed his divorced mom in the audience on a Friday night, and I was like, man, it would be cool if my mom had something to do because she was sad. She just got divorced. So I went to an open mic, and then it just kind of turned into a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I was so good that I spent the next 10 years driving a yellow cab for 12. Right. That's how good I was. <laughs> <laughs> I I assume, but, so right. driving during the day, hitting clubs at night? Yes. Yeah. 5A to 5P. And that's that's how it works. Um, you split the cab in half. Mm-hmm. And the hook is there's less traffic at night, in theory. But during the day, nobody throws up in your cab. Right. So I'll sit in a few <laughs> traffic jams. <laughs> um, 
uh, you got book deals along the way. Mm-hmm. How'd that work out? Oh, wow. How did it happen? This is a great one. This is all taxi related. Yeah. So uh, there was a, a CBS broadcaster by the name of Charles Osgood who hosts CBS Sunday sure. Morning. and. Horton Hears a Who and all that jazz. I picked him up in a cab one day, and he was a Yankee fan. Like, we became fast friends talking about the Yankees. Because I used mm-hmm. to just deal whoever got into whatever was happening in my life. Yeah. So that's the way this, that's how this, uh, the Yankees got, Yankees got to trade Sheffield. You think so? And, you know, and then we got into it. And we talked, and he was explained who he was and said he didn't do anything in comedy, but he would love to support me in any way he could and that he published. So he had asked me for, um, you know, like a sample chapter. I wrote it. It was great because he called me up, and he's like, uh, this is fascinating stuff. I don't want it anywhere near what I do. <laughs> it's like, uh, so he started an imprint. It was called Big Top Press. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's the only book that they ever published. <laughs> Let's claim the fame. But Osgood has always been like some quiet muscle behind the operation since about 2010. That's a great story. I had yeah. no idea. Wild, right? What a random... Super cool dude. Super cool dude. He has dude. season tickets to the Yankees. He only goes on Sundays, but he's a little <laughs> older. And when you shake his hand, he has arthritis yeah. and he yells. It's awkward, but it's also <laughs> So hilarious. If he's like, oh my God, I love you. And he's like, oh, it's really funny to be around. You think he's doing a bit. <laughs> he right. might be. That would be great. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmead. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. And of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadShow.com. So you ended up uh, here at Fox uh, writing for Kennedy. Yes. Uh, did you know her before? Did you just no. apply for a job? So the jump on that, neither. I was doing a stand-up at Gotham Comedy Club down on 23rd and 7th, mm-hmm. and her booker at the time, Andrew Heaton, saw me uh, and invited me to come be a panelist on her show the next day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I semi-took him at his word that it was a serious thing, but I was still at that point, not a full-time cabbie, but I was doing seven-day leases, which means you lease the cab, drive it whenever you want, but mm-hmm. you're not working your traditional, okay? Right. So the first time I appeared here for real, I had a cab double-parked on 6th Avenue, trunk up, doors open, hazards on, because that's how you get out of the parking ticket. If it looks like you're hauling <laughs> yeah. something, let you be. So I did her, I hit on her show, and on the way out, it was me, her, I believe, Kaylee McEnany, and I was like, nice to meet you. I got to go. I got to get my cab. And they were like, but there's nobody in it. And I was like, no, no, no. I meant, you know, it's, it's my cab. Like, I can give you a ride home. And that's how it started. And then from there, um, mm-hmm. paneling on her show, uh, her writer left, and they invited me to come on and write the show. Okay. So it was cool. And then you just started being, uh, you know, the guy who would drop in on other shows. Yep. Dropping little comedy bombs and leaving. Yep. And then um, you ended up with, the, with your daily radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now the Saturday show. Yeah. So basically that becomes I'm writing for Kennedy, I'm doing minimal amount of hits around the channel, and I'm guesting on other radio shows here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, essentially when an opening presented itself in the lineup, you know, all 37 people they wanted said no. Right. <laughs> At right. which point they were like, we're out of people, Jimmy. No, I'm kidding. At which point they gave me that show. And uh, in doing that show, uh, you know, I had to promote it on the channel, and I, and I, I seem to have found a little bit of traction, which is great. Uh, but the thing for me, man, uh, as we sit here getting ready to launch a show with my own name on it, something I wanted to do since fifth grade, is I've always been calibrated um, to be mindful of how what I'm doing is impacting the people receiving it. Mm-hmm. And I say that because as someone who spent 12 hours a day driving a taxi, you really see how, like, AM talk radio can really, like, warp you, dement you, good or bad, yeah. okay? But it really has an impact because it's so regimented. And I was so mindful of that when I got the radio show that I've kind of spilled that philosophy into the TV show. And the campaign promise uh, right now is because I'm new and I'm stupid and I want to use it for good. Mm-hmm. So I'm 
like, this TV show is going to help people. And it's probably the dumbest thing I could be doing right now. But that's where we're headed. That's the cliff we're on. What was the learning curve like um, to do the radio show? And another thing is this. Mm -hmm. Three-hour show a day. Yep. Give or take. There's commercials and stuff. Um, You've got to have takes on stuff. Yep. Hot takes on Uh stuff that you might, as a civilian, not have really cared about. Ever. But you've got to... Yep. You've got to... Uh huh. That's the job. Yep. So there's two philosophies I take to talk radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm either dissecting the story through how does this affect you, mm-hmm. the guy listening to me, or what is my horse sense on the um, the human function in this story. So to give you an example, Hunter Biden shows up to a hearing yesterday where he's potentially being held in contempt for defying a subpoena, which is a lot trendier than the Republicans are making it sound. Let's, right. let's not act like they're throwing a perfect game on subpoena attendance, sure. but we get it. Okay. So in that moment, I don't actually have any legal acumen. But I likened it to the fact that I know he's not actually going to have to testify if he shows up. So it's a little bit of a posturing move. So I was kind of dissecting that through the lens of this is the classic example of a guy outside a bar right. who once <laughs> the cop shows up acts like he wants to fight because he knows he won't have to. Hold me back. Thank you. That's exactly. So that's what I that, – and, and that's usually the two lanes through which I'm filtering politics because mm-hmm. I need to make it interesting to me. Right. And I don't want to make it wonky. Because I think my superpower is that I say this a lot on the radio is that I don't have one. I think the fact that I don't talk uh, with such a heightened intellect makes me more relatable. Sure. Um, did you care a lot or at all about news? Were yeah. You, news, you were a news follower. I, so I grew up, up in a big Reagan house. I grew okay. up in Levittown and everybody, Long, Long Island, New York. Yeah, Strong Island. And uh, everybody in uh, the OG Levittown was uh, a, some served in the military because it was you know predominantly settled by guys returning home from World War II buying houses, GI Bill and stuff like that. And uh, everybody in my house uh, post-military was a cop. I'm the only member of my family. It's not a cop. Only male member. I'm talking extended. Cousins, uncles, everything. <laughs> and uh, I, I say like I would have been a cop if it were for this thing called a background check, you know, that whole thing. Hey-oh. But uh, the point is, I had a lot of patriotism beat into me as an early age because Reagan was president. In 86, they were refurbishing the Statue of Liberty, and it was a big deal to get the scaffolding off. And that was like the whole focus of my third grade year was like America, land of opportunity, melting pot, all the cliches. But like I bought in. Like I was I was surrounded by veterans. So I was I was into it. And for that reason, I always paid attention to electoral politics. Mm. Big general elections. I didn't really, you know, I knew Cuomo was a governor. I knew who Ed Koch was, but I wasn't following it day to day. I didn't start to follow it till I drove a cab. And the reason being is driving a taxi is the original social media. And what I mean by that is someone gets in and shares an opinion with you. Mm-hmm. And then you wind up sharing with someone else who shares it with someone else. It's weird. Yeah. And you have like, it's like a human like button. or But in a cab, you get a dislike button. Like people right. will get in. <laughs> So it was always fun, but I've kind of got slowly, there was this gravitational pull that I guess took me to where I am now in terms of intellectual curiosity. Uh, you're going to stand up special on Fox Nation 2. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it called? They're just oh, jokes? they're just jokes. They're just jokes. Um, that's already out. Yep. And um, you make a joke in there about Fox domesticating you. Yes. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, you obviously can th- say things on stage mm-hmm. or in your personal life that you can't say on the radio. Do you find yourself when you're because sometimes when you have a job like yep, yep. this, um, you're talking while you're still thinking of the next thing to say. Yeah. 
how often do you find yourself going, oh, I'm going down a road. I probably shouldn't be going down here on the, on this the radio. Is, this is what's weird. So not as much as you'd think. And this comes from being a comic and testing out material. What happens is really weird. But if you've performed enough, you know if the audience is going to laugh at a new joke three words into the sentence. Because you can tell how it feels. Yeah. And it's the greatest thing in the world when the joke doesn't work. Because the rest of the words are like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> like, it's too late. We started the sentence. And because of that, uh, that little, like, car, that firewall. On the radio, it's weird, but you can gauge where you're going. For me, anyway, it's slower in my head than it is in my mouth. So I actually am, like, probably four or five sentences ahead, and I don't find myself saying something without it having been vetted. And one of the things I do, though, to you your inter point, You're internally vetting, vetting it. Yes. While your mouth is yeah. 15 seconds ahead. A hundred percent. It's like I'm on delay. Yeah. And one of the things I do on radio a lot is I play a lot of my own drops, audio drops. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, that's a chance to recalibrate. So if yeah. I do, to, to the point you said, which is like, oh, Jimmy's really going off on one here. <laughs> you know, Jimmy can play a sound effect from his kid and be like, oh, hold, hold on now. You do need to support this kid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Three-hour radio show. Uh-huh. How do you, uh, tell people how you manage, um, it, it's regimented, you're mm -hmm. on, you're yeah. on, then you're off, and there are built-in breaks that are the same all the time. Mm -hmm. Do you have sort of a muscle memory of when you're going to eat, when you're going to drink, yes. take care of bodily stuff? Yep. Um, the, the, the walk from the mm -hmm. bathroom to the studio is 30 seconds, give or take, yep. one way. Yep. So... I'll give you the whole process. Yeah. Okay. In terms of doing the show, because my background is stand-up and I'm used to them just being like, you know, they say your name and you run onto the stage. Mm -hmm. I get into that studio literally every day in the final 20 seconds before we go live. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's intentional because I want the spontaneity of walking on and here we are and here's what's happening. Right. For that reason, I also don't have an outline. I don't prep interviews. What I do is I read a lot in the morning, so I have a sense for what's happening in the news and what my guests might be related to, mm -hmm. and then I kind of instinctively just have a conversation that'll eventually present a segue into the serious topic. In terms of prepping for the show, I get up and write the same day every, every day. I get up at four every day, because um, that's what I do when I was a cab driver, um, and I like to write before my brain has interacted with the world, so I I do my writing in terms of comedy before I actually do my news consumption. Um, and then depending on whether or not I have morning TV, because I have, you know, three days a week, I have like Fox and Friends, Fox and Friends First, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I either drive in at 5 a.m. Um, or I will train in at like 7 a.m. But in that window between either 5 or 7 or whatever it is, that's when I'm consuming news. When I get to my studio for a 9.30 meeting, we have like a uh, I guess you'd call it like a prep meeting or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Editorial meeting. Sure. Um, we'll talk about like last night's sports, what's in the news cycle, what's on the monitor right now, and kind of lay out what we think is a rundown for the show. Um, from there, I'm back in my office either doing TV hits or, you know, whatever the heck else they got me work. You know, I do everything. I write books, do stand-up, I do radio, I do TV. I wash windows from 42 <laughs> to 46. And I used to be Geraldo's mustache guy, but he <laughs> left, so I get a little free time. But the point is, um, I'll be consuming in that window, and then we go live. Um, in terms of food, this is it. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So when I was a cab driver, all I did, and this mirrors the process now, all I did in a 12-hour shift is... 
I would have two bananas and two granola bars Mm -hmm. strategically placed in the day three hours apart. So I'd start at 5 a.m. in a cab. At 8 a.m., I got a banana. And like, it was like a seal. Like you trained it. At 11 a.m., I got a granola bar. Then at 2 p.m., I got a banana. Then at 5, when I was heading back to the garage, I got a granola bar. And that's how, uh, but, you know, reverse. And that's how it worked. I do the same thing here. So I wake up, but it starts in the morning. I have a, when I get to Fox, I have an ice water and I have like a premier protein shake, like 160 calories. Then uh, I'll start to write, I'll drink an iced coffee. Then I have cashews. This every day though, this is psychotic. Okay, this is a prison that I live in. Then every day at about nine a.m., I'll have a bag of a small two hundred calorie bag of cashews. Then at about eleven, I have Greek yogurt. And then at eleven, <laughs> plain Greek yogurt, okay. nothing in it. And then at eleven thirty, I cry. I cry for like twenty minutes, <laughs> okay. and then I go on the Get radio out. hungry. Because the thing for me is, I find this is a stand-up, and it works very well for TV and radio. Uh, I'm better. I'm more assertive if I'm hungry. Okay. Because too much of my food, my happiness is calibrated around food. So if I'm full, I feel like I don't fight as hard, and that's why I, I do that. Uh, Post show, though, same routine: cashews, yogurt, <laughs> and then at some point, whether I if I have like primetime TV hits, I'll eat here. If I don't, I'll eat at home. But it's just a lean protein. You know, this is a prison of your own making, Jim. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm aware. And, but it's also probably. Uh, comforting. Yes. For all the other chaos in the world, yes. that's taken care of. Yes, that's what it is. And it's, yeah. it's mindless. And it gives you, and that there's security in that regimen because you always wind up feeling like yourself, no matter how many things don't feel like yourself. Like today, I just pulled around the corner on 49th Street to park my Bronco. And the first thing I see is the my face on the biggest billboard in Times Square is freaky, man. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. But th- you want to know the truth the minute you see it? The minute you see it, you go, if you're me, because you're really thinking about the product, you're like, well, there went the money for the studio audience. <laughs> I, yeah. I guess we blew the audience money. I, yeah. I appreciate the promotion, but could, yeah. that, could that money have been spent more, more efficiently than these people in Times Square that probably aren't Fox fans to begin with? <laughs> We're converting them. You'll see, Chris. You'll see. Uh, you got a book coming out later this month, Cancel Culture Dictionary. Um, chapters in there about canceling entertainers mm-hmm. um, and being able to keep enjoying the art mm-hmm. and, you know, separate the art from the separate, artist. Exactly. Yeah. Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson, Louis C.K. Um, it, look, I, if Billie Jean comes on the radio, I'm yeah. going to say, wow, this is a banger, but it's but it seeps in. You I know, know what I mean? Nuts. And it's the same thing with Louis now. It's the same mm-hmm. thing if the Cosby show comes yeah. on, um, where those people's artistic legacy. Mm-hmm. It's tainted. It is, is tainted. Yep. I think it, I think it depends on the person and what I don't mean the artist, I mean you yourself because music to a lot of people means a lot of different things. But for me, uh, a lot of those songs are nostalgia songs. So I don't hear Michael Jackson and think of him, uh, you know, groping kids. I just think of being a kid. Yeah. You know, I think of like when they made the thriller video, okay, yeah. I actually consumed it like it was a horror film. And I remember they made the making of, and they, it, was, Big it, was a, deal. it was a real thing. I mean, looking back on Thriller, I think the most shocking detail was the fact that he had a girlfriend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was the werewolf. I mean, we could buy a werewolf, right. and I'm like, Michael's dating a girl. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, so for me, that's where it goes. Now, for like somebody like R. Kelly, who I didn't listen to until, not really listen to him a lot, but I didn't hear him until my adult life, his music brings me closer to the crime. Because I'm in, I, I consumed it in closer proximity. Cosby, and this one breaks my heart. Uh, I I consider the success of the Cosby Show around like 85, 86, like peak America. 
because I feel like we were as integrated as we had ever been up until that point in our life. Mm-hmm. The Bears had taken the NFL into pop culture with the Super Bowl shuffle. Eddie Murphy was a big star. MTV was exploding. And it was like a feel-good time. Yeah. And I hate to know that like the face of that party you know, was what it was. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, there's that duality. I don't watch a lot of Cosby, so I don't miss it, but I'll always, like, I'm going to bump into my TV show on Michael Jackson songs. It's just reality. And maybe I'm, again, out of touch because I wasn't cute enough for these guys. (laughs) Maybe if I was a little (laughs) cuter as a kid, it would be more traumatic. Uh, A couple quick hitters before Mm -hmm. we get out of here. Um, Speaking of Cosby, um, uh, favorite stand-up comedy albums as a kid? Oh, man. All right, I'll give them to you, okay? Yeah. Uh, I want Eddie Murphy, Delirious, is probably my favorite. And because I, he was the first comedian I consumed that cursed. And as a little kid, when you're around cursing, it's, it means more than it should. And you're like, whoa! And uh, I didn't realize that most comics in the 80s were ripping off Pryor because I saw them before I saw Pryor. Yeah. So when I started doing stand-up, uh, everyone was just stealing Pryor's act. I didn't watch uh, Richard Pryor on Sunset Strip till I was probably three years into stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this isn't very original. And I was like, oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, wait, actually it was. <laughs> it's actually 20 years before everyone else. He was amazing. Right. Um, are you related... To Gambino, crime family captain, James Fela. No, but here's the best story. Thank you for asking this. Okay. okay. So the first time I went out on a date with a credit card, I had one of those credit <laughs> cards where it's not even a credit card. You have to send $250 to a bank in Dakota. Yep. It's the craziest thing in the world. I'm just giving you my money so I can prove I'll spend my money. So I went to Nino's on First Avenue with Dana Douglas. Uh, she was a tanning salon employee at the time. Long Island, it's by law. You have to get sure. know, spray tan once a day. So Dana Douglas and I went to Nino's on First Avenue. I went to pay with my new credit card. It was all. It was a Citibank card. I was all excited. Citibank MasterCard. And uh, I give it to the guy on the plate. Another guy comes back over and he goes, your money's no good here. He's no. like, say hello to your father. <laughs> and I was like, my father's a cop. I'm like, it could, but I didn't know why it was no good there okay. until I got home that night. My brother Joey, who was a city cop, who still lived with us, he was in the academy. I was like, dude, I was an Italian place. They wouldn't take our, my money because of my last name. And he's like, oh, there's a... There's a He's a mobster. <laughs> you just thought they were really good to Italian. I know. I was like, oh, this is amazing. But the girl, she, Dana, was so blown away. She's like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's hooked up in the city. It was crazy. Um, did you have GPS when you drove? When you were- No. Okay. Because uh, there was a time. Was it uh-huh. part of the... Like, you had to really know the streets. You had to know the streets. It was like being a cab driver in London to this day. There was a nobility in knowing where you're going. So there's two things that make it really hard for me to drive as a passenger in a taxi. Um... One is I am eternally frustrated by their driving skill because of what you just described. I get in on 6th Avenue and 36th Street, and I'm going up to Fox News on 47th. He types it into his GPS. <laughs> I'm like, dude, the streets are numbered up. We're not turning. It, it, yeah. It's a straightaway. It's a, with, if you hit the lights, it's a one-minute shot. Yeah, maybe a one-minute. <laughs> and so I'm losing my mind while this is going on. But at the same time, I don't want to be mean because I know that's what they're conditioned to. Yeah. Back to me being stuck in a process that's my own hell in prison. Um, but the other problem with me getting driven anywhere, that's why I drive in every day early, is because I do have like a survivor's guilt because I did the job for a long time and I am tipping cab drivers to the point that they think I'm romantically interested. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's getting crazy now. All right, to that end, mm-hmm. you've picked me up at Nathan's in Coney Island. Oh. Get me to work. Okay, well, how would I do it? Uh, based on where you're going, you're far enough along on the belt, you might just go under the Verrazano, you know what I mean, and head mm-hmm. up the BQE and get into the Hugh Carey Tunnel. 
And then you'd probably go West Side Highway. You don't want to cut through Times Square if you can avoid doing it. But Sixth Avenue is the devil. So I'd probably West Side Highway to 48th and just take my chances. If only because across town on the West Side is not bad at all. Mm -hmm. But Sixth Avenue on, you know, to the east is an albatross. So you just got to roll the dice and hope 48th Street cooperates. You can still do that job today if you want to. Oh, listen, man. (laughs) I I always stay in tune with my taxi skills Mm -hmm. because you never know when you're going to make that wrong turn on the air. <laughs> uh, you talk about your family. Um, uh, is your kid named after Abraham Lincoln? Oh, yes, he is. Yeah? Yeah, that's... Um, his name's Lincoln, not Abraham, yeah, by the way. His name's Abraham. Uh, yes, and the way that went down is I, lo- I, I loved the name Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you try to pick out a baby name, I didn't know this, we only have one kid, is you're not supposed to share it with other adults because they base their opinion on adults they know with the same name. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't name it that. I, I dated a guy named Stu who was a real gem. I'm like, all right, whatever. My kid didn't date you. But anyway, stick with me. Uh, I had to, to get that name approved, okay, because mm-hmm. uh, my wife had her idea for names. The hook is you give them your opening offer in the negotiation is a bad name, but you're passionate about it. Yep. So I fought my wife to the death over naming him Boris. <laughs> Boris. And my wife's parents live in uh, Ohio, 600-mile drive. So I once fought her to Ohio and back over Boris to the point that the tears in the car were naming this kid Boris. Okay. At the GW Bridge, coming across the bridge uh, onto 95, I offered up, and it's a brilliant stroke, and he should thank me to this day, I offered up Lincoln as the compromise. She's like, I love that name. Boom. Nice job. You're welcome, kid. Well played. Um, I have... My kids are still little. Oh, good um, you give me um, give me a good uh, joke for them. Oh, for your little kids? Yeah, seven. Oh wow! Let me give you a quick one. Uh, well, they're, oh, they're seven. Yeah. All right, I won't tell them the flasher joke. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about this. Like street joke for your kids. I mean, the first. This, honestly, this is unfair to your kids, but the first street joke my grandmother ever told me, I was five years old, mm-hmm. but I was like societal literate it was did you hear about the flasher who was thinking about retiring no grandma he decided to stick it out for another year <laughs> good night everybody yeah. maybe you, don't tell him that did one. you get that joke oh absolutely See, yeah my first uh, i mean my dad when i was probably about that age uh asked me if do you want to hear a dirty joke mm-hmm. i said sure uh-huh he says, six white horses fell in the mud. <laughs> that's the joke, but I didn't get it. I'm like, I'm like yeah, they're dirty. Oh, that's... Uh, I, I, I heard a version of that back in the day where it was like, you want to you know, you hear a clean joke, uh, you know, Bob took a bath. You want to hear a dirty joke? Bob took a bath with Bubbles. What's the dirty <laughs> joke? Bubbles was the girl next door. Yeah. yeah, I remember those. That's funny. <laughs> All right, Jimmy Fallon, host of Fox Cross America on, uh, on your radios. Uh, Fox News Saturday night on the Fox News Channel coming up. Uh, this weekend, congratulations, Thanks, and uh, also uh, the new book coming out later this month, The Cancel Culture Dictionary. Jimmy, good to talk to you, man. Good stuff, Chris. We'll always have this. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Boom. That was great, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.